Hi, it's Johnny, and welcome to the Good Media Podcast. This week, we're going to be putting up another one of Devante's Sunday messages. We have last week in episode seven, we have another one from there. If you want to go back and listen to that, great sermon. This week, we're going to be doing a similar thing, but with the next component of that message. So take a listen and enjoy. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good iPad. Today, I'm wearing my Peter shirt. You can't see. I own one shirt like this. I know. It's my only shirt like this in my wardrobe uh, that Grace bought for me because she saw it in Goodwill. And she's like, she bought it a year ago and I was supposed to wear it and I just keep forgetting. So I decided to wear my Peter shirt this morning. Uh, I know. I'm going to play guitar one of these uh, Sundays as well. So this is my first time preaching as a married man. Uh, I, it's, this, is, this is a great experience. I don't know if much has changed, but I've realized something. After, after being married, um, we, Grace and I had a beautiful wedding. And, and I realized, if you look at this picture, that even though getting married, we still didn't touch each other. <laughs> and this, this, I was, this is such a weird picture because I'm like, oh, so romantic, and then we couldn't even hug. But it's okay. And then, and then Grace's favorite picture is this. But to me, she looks scared. <laughs> She's like, what did I sign up for? And so as I really study the pictures and I study the emotions of Grace, I realized that what's Grace, Grace's real emotion of that day looked like this. She was walking down the aisle thinking about what in the world am I doing? But my reaction was like this. I was happy and excited to be married. All in all, it was a great day. We had an exciting time. Probably one of the best days of my life. Um, we did definitely skip graduation day. I think Bible college graduation day was one of the best days of my life, but this is definitely skip that. Um, and it was amazing. So thank you all for coming and supporting. Um, and Grace and I are just really grateful for the family we have here at One Hope. So thank you. Let's pray. God, as we dig into your word today, God, I help us to, to really, it's a tough message, so help us, God, to just come to you with broken hearts. Ultimately, in repentance, you need my pray. Amen. I have a question. What is repentance? Can someone answer that for me? When, when you hear the word repentance, what do you think of? And you can shout it out at me. It's okay. Do a Say it again. Do a 180. Do a 180. Exactly. Yes. 180. Anybody else? Think and act. Forgiveness. All play an important role when we, when we look at the word repentance. Matter of fact, the good question to ask is if, if repentance is really important. Is this an important thing that we as believers should take seriously? The Bible talks about repentance in so many different ways. In Matthew 3 and 8, it says this, Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Jeremiah 31:15 says this, After I've strayed, I repented. After I came to understand that, that I beat my breast, I was ashamed and, I, and humiliated because I bore the disgrace of my youth. Luke 5, 31 to 32 says this, Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Isaiah 30, 15 says this at the beginning. This is what the sovereign Lord, this is, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. 
in repentance and rest is your salvation. Matthew 4, 17 says this. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Seems like repentance is a theme both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And it's a such important thing to the Christian faith. Clearly it is important. Repentance is something we should pay attention to. Today we're going to look at Psalm 51, which I believe is one of the most profound repentance prayers written in history. David, after you, you probably know the story after the, the adultery and murder story, um, was approached by his friend Nathan and, and was called out. And we know I, it's about a year later, it seems like he wrote this prayer. And it, 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 this prayer has come out in many different ways. I've heard it preached in many different contexts. We sing songs about it. But I realize that this, 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 this text that we're looking at today is very important for the mere reason that it's, in a, it's a repentance prayer. That David is approaching the Lord in repentance, looking to Jesus ultimately for forgiveness. This is one of the ways that we can see Jesus in the Old Testament as David comes to God in repentance, asking for forgiveness and, and, a, penalty, and a paid penalty for a sin which in future we know that that came in the cross of Jesus Christ. So what is repentance? If you're taking notes with me, some people, you know, we, back in the old days in the, my grandmother's church, they had these little pamphlets, and in the back is always a place for notes. And I always used to scribble lines because I see my grandmother doing it, so I would just like write like this, but it was nothing really. So if you're taking notes, or you're scribbling like I did, um, the, the definition for repentance as you walk is a change of heart that leads to a change of action. So a change of heart that leads to a change in action. Now what is not repentance? It's not behavior modification. It's not an action change. It's not being a moral person. It's not doing Christian things. Repentance is a change of heart that leads to a change in action. So listen to our passage today. David starts off by saying this, Have mercy on me, O Lord, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. The first thing we need to recognize in repentance is recognizing our sin. In order for us to repent of our sin, we must understand that there is sin in our lives so that we can repent of it. Repentance is something that is done, to, like we said, turning away or turning backwards from a, action, from a, from a heart. From, sorry, repentance is something that when we look at it, we see that the sin in our lives should be turned away from and so our heart is changed. But in our own lives as believers, there's something called respectable sins. Sins in our lives that we kind of justify when we go along, as we go along our lives. And I'm going to name some of them here. And actually, I'm going to name the common ones that I feel is talked about a lot in church. We say it's not talked about a lot, but I actually believe it is. The thing is, it's not really preached well. The sin of gossip and slander. It's always okay to sit down for hours and hours and talk about your brothers and sisters in Christ. 
And then there's a justification for why one does that. And then we have an issue when someone is hurt. Matter of fact, I say that this sin is preached and we always stand on pulpits um, many times and say you should not gossip. But we also indulge in the same sin. And then we justify it. So is our sin of gossip ever before us? Is it standing inside of our faces that we can recognize that we are sinning against an almighty God? What about the sin of laziness? This is one that does not talk about much, but if we, we, we realize that in, in our own lives we have idle time, that we do idle things, and I'm not talking about rest. Because it's different to take Sabbath, because we know that God gave us Sabbath, He gave us rest, but I'm talking about laziness or sloth. The sin of actually being idle and not actually being productive when you should be. It's a respectable sin. It's when you hush, hush. What about gluttony? This one is a big one because I see in my own life where I see gluttony and instead of, instead of fighting the sin or looking the sin straight in the eye, I always have a justification. I always justify the sin of gluttony because it's not that big of a deal, right? It's not, it's not a huge thing. No, it's still sin. It's just a respectable one that we deem to be okay. So why, if this is talked about so much, why are these respectable sins still done? It's because on one hand, we have people who don't recognize the sin. And on the other hand, we have people who don't recognize who they're sinning to. Listen to what David says in Psalm 51.4. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So, that, so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. So when we sin, we sin against God alone. It's all about that, that, that sin that's done in secret, right? You ever heard about a person who, who, when you ask them a question, would you do this if nobody would ever know? And they say yes. Matter of fact, I see in my own life that there's sins in my life that there's no way if nobody would never know this sin, then I could just continue to do it. Matter of fact, you know the sin in your life that's in the dark, and so since you think nobody knows about it, it's okay. But when we realize the weight of sin and what sin does to our lives and how it, it literally separates us, and we're going to get to that, from God, we realize that sin has an effect whether it's seen or unseen. Because ultimately, it's sinning against God. So when you sit down and you sin, you're partaking in something that goes against your Heavenly Father. So how do we deal with that? Well, it's feeling the weight of your sin. Sin is something that's heavy and we, sometimes we get crushed by our, the weight of our own sin. We get crushed by the brokenness of our sin. And when sin is in our lives, it breaks us from the inside out, not from the outside in. We've been talking about how um, throughout the Sermon of the Mount series, we're talking about how this thing is a heart issue and how Jesus is going straight for the heart. But I, the question I have to ask is, do we truly understand what it means as sin being a heart issue? Because sin being a heart issue shows us that even if sin is not an outward expression of an action, internally we are still sinning against God Almighty. So we take every sin Seriously. 
We wouldn't use the phrases like, okay, well, since there is grace, I can do whatever I want. Since I know God is going to forgive me, so I'm going to justify this sin. And, I can, and God knows my heart and people can't judge me and all these different things. But we, if you listen to the Bible, it says this, one, in Romans 6, that just because grace abounds, you shouldn't sin. And in Romans 2, Romans 2, 4, it says this, or do you show contempt for the riches for do you show contempt of the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? So God's grace is there to lead us towards him, not to lead us to sin. It's not a justification for us to go on and keep on sinning. Rather, it's a, it's a justification for us to repent of our sin. But yet we find ourselves making the excuse that since God's grace is in existence, therefore we, we must continue to go on sinning. Because I mean, we have to sin to survive, right? One of the biggest lies I told myself when I was younger that, you know, you have to sin to survive. So I guess I can keep on sinning. God will understand. But it's a lie. It's actually, that's a sin in itself. Putting yourself in that lie of sin. Realize that the, the David says here in the Psalms that, you know, for you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. We deserve God, we deserve God's judgment when we sin. Whether you believe it or not, it's, 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 it's pretty evident that because of our sin, we deserve the judgment of God. The only thing we deserve because of who we are by our very own nature is God's wrath. That's just what we deserve. But God is gracious enough to, to spare us from his own wrath, and that's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ. But the question is, are you in repentance of your sin? Is this a lifestyle of your life that you're continually walking life in repentance, or you're walking life with the grace card? Do you walk your life in, order, on, in, in, in awe of God and who, we are, uh, who he is, and on who we are to him, and you realize where you stand before the Lord and you come to him with a heart broken and ready to be healed by the Savior. So here's the key to repentance, Psalm 51, 10 to 12. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence or, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. The key of repentance is create in me a pure heart. That in, when it comes to repentance, it comes to our heart being changed and being made pure. But David kind, of, David kind of gives us this, how this heart being pure thing happens. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God. Who's doing the creating of the pure heart? It's God. So it's not how hard you can work and how hard you can boil your fist and get through it. It's about how God purifies your heart. The same God who is just in, in the judgment is also the God who is just in making the heart pure. And he said to renew a steadfast spirit within me. So what does this mean? It says this. It's, it's, that, it's that our spirit is now renewed before the Father. And if we, when we approach the Father in repentance, he's gracious enough to grant us a new spirit. When I first became a believer, I remembered how the new spirit felt on me. 
Sin was a whole different ball game when it comes to being a believer. I lived a life that was okay. I was just chilling, you know, being young and dumb and whatever. And uh, I would, before Christ, I was just, you know, Devante. And now I became a Christian and I realized that, man, conviction starts to hit in. And I, I'm like, what's going on? But it's an overwhelming joy that comes over you when you become a Christian. Because regardless of the conviction, there's a joy and sense of the Holy Spirit wrapping you in his arms and taking you as his own. So when David tells us to restore the joy, telling God to restore the joy of salvation, it takes us back to when we first became believers and first actually encountered the Holy Spirit and we remember that joy that we received. We have to realize something here because David, before saying restore the joy of salvation, said this, cast me not away from your presence. It's because sin separates us from God. See, unrepentive heart leaves us in our separation from our Father. And David, before he came into this unrepentive thing, he was in a place where he was, felt distant. So he said, don't cast me away from your presence, but what? Restore the joy of salvation. So what does it mean of joy of salvation? Well, it's not a happiness of salvation. If you're a true believer, you know that sometimes in your walk with the Lord, it's not always happy. It's not always a good and exciting time. I mean, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you have to work hard on your relationship with God. You have to invest. Like you married people out there, and I could say that about myself now too. We realize how hard work it is in a relationship when you invest in a relationship and you work hard to see how this thing, to get this thing to work. When you have to wrestle through different issues and wrestle through hard times, you understand how this thing works. That's why God in Ephesians 5 used marriage as an image of the relationship he has with the church. Because in that, in, that, in that understanding of marriage, we see the working of reconciliation, the working of forgiveness, the working of restoration. That's why David said to restore. We remember in our relationships that there's something called joy. And even when it's not happy, when things are not going well, we could be reminded of the joy we have in the relationship that we're in. So when David says to restore the joy of my salvation, what he's actually saying is to restore God what is good about my salvation, to restore God what, what I need to be fully engaged in you, restore God what I need to be in right standing with you. Give me peace that surpassed all understanding. So there's a wrong way to repent. This is what David says here in Psalm 51, 16. You have not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offering. So just praying, going through rituals, and making up some legalistic rules to stop doing something isn't a way to repent. You can't just sit down and say, oh God, forgive me, I turn away, and then walk away. You can't make up some type of sign of the cross or some type of, of kneel and say some, some thing and just it's all poof, away and gone. Matter of fact, I, I had this, this prayer that, that they say in the Anglican school I go to, it's called Confession Time, and it says, um, lo, um, it says, Lord, I confess my sins and thought were indeed and what I've left undone and all these different things. And hopefully that by you say the end of this prayer and everything is gone and washed away. 
or they start putting different barriers in your life because you see sins in your life that you don't like and, you, and it's making you don't look like a moral person. So you start to put barriers up to make these things stop happening. When in your heart you really don't care if it's happening or not, you just don't want to look bad. Or you don't want to feel bad. Oh, I feel so broken. I feel bad. So let me put this thing up. I'd be lying if I stand in front of here and tell you that I have not done that, those same things. That if I tell you that I haven't told, just said prayers and be like, God, I repent, it's, it's all good. Or I've done rituals and signs of the cross and kiss a cross and do all these different things. Or I'll put barriers up in my life to block things so I wouldn't sin. I'd be lying if I tell you I didn't do that, hoping that I have repented. But David tells us that God doesn't delight in the sacrifice of these things. Else he would just bring it. We just bring sacrifices and as God, I'll just throw it on the altar. There you go, my sin is taken away. But how do we repent? Listen to what David says in Psalm 51, 17. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken heart, a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. So what it is, is to come into God with a broken heart, saying that, God, I'm broken and I'm in need of a Savior and without you I can't do anything. So this sounds like all simple things and all these different things that we should know as believers, but the question is, are we really doing this? Do we come to God in repentance and a change of heart from our action or we come to God because we feel bad? Do we come to God because we actually believe in the core of our being that what we're doing is wrong or we come to God because, God, I don't look right in the front of people. God, I'm not acting right. Because see, the question you have to ask is if you come to God with a change heart and the action still goes on, would you still hold on to Jesus Christ and cling to him for what is good? If God was to never take away the sin that you're struggling with and he would allow that like a thorn in your flesh, would you continue to hold on to Christ? Or you'd be like, this is not working. Because see, in my own life and what I've only, I understand, I've heard from different people is this. That they, will, they, they do all these actions and they do all these different things to make sure they're on the right path. But when you talk to them and get down to the deep things of the heart, they still believe the things that they don't do. Then you have people who, in their heart, they hate their sin. They can't understand why they do what they do, and yet they're still completely doing these things over. You just see brokenness. It reminds me of Paul in Romans 7. Remember Romans 7 when he talks about how there's a conflict of two natures going on? He says that, I do not understand my actions. I don't do what I want to do, but I do the thing that I hate. I wish I got an amen on that because there's probably a lot of us in here that feels the same exact way. That we, that we kind of go all this lifestyle of just like doing things that we hate because sin is just so wrong and we can't stand it. But yet we keep on falling and falling. This is a, this is a thought of a repentive heart. That I don't, God, I hate what I see. I hate what I do. Yet I still find myself, I don't even understand doing these things that I hate. But Paul doesn't leave it there. Matter of fact, he tells he tell us over and over again that it's not him that's doing it, but the sin that dwells inside of him. But Paul comes to God in a broken heart, the same way he says, who can save a wretch like me? He breaks out into doxology and said, praise God for Jesus Christ. Because Paul understood, he, he, it came to his mind when he starts to understand that, that, that it doesn't matter what he does, ultimately it's all about Jesus forgiving him for what he's done. So whether he does it over and over and over again or never do it again at all, it's the cross that paid it all. So when you come to repentance, are you coming to God for behavioral change? Or are you coming to God for a fixed heart?
for a heart that, that's turned away from something that will lead ultimately to change in action. Paul telling us that he had a thorn in his flesh and he prayed to God three times for God to remove it and God didn't. Now we don't know what that thorn in the flesh is, but maybe you have a thorn in your flesh. That you've been praying for years for God to remove from your life and God hasn't removed it. Maybe you should ask the question, why would God leave it there? Why would a God who is so loving and so gracious leave a thorn in my flesh that I can't get rid of? God, I hate it. Why do you leave it there? Well, the pastors tell us, because where you are made weak, He is made strong. Are you relying on the strength of God to, to, to carry you through your sin? See, what I've realized as, as time goes on in my own believing life is that even in the midst of me fighting sin, it's sometimes on my own strength. I think I see pride seeping in. I think that I know it all. I get it. All these simple sermons and simple things. I got it all so I don't need Christ. Yet in that very moment, is that is when I need Him the most. When I have no time to listen to the simple stuff that people have to say, or at least and I get it that Jesus died for my sins and yada, 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 and I just need to repent. It's in that exact moment is when I need God. Because I think that I've come to a place where I understand it all. And so I don't, need the, I don't need this more, this more instruction. And that's when I know that I'm not broken over it anymore. Because I'm not more than somebody else. Just this morning, I was talking to Grace about something that happened this week. And she started to shout at me about something. <clears throat> but it was right. It was right. She was, she was right. You know, uh, against popular belief, Grace can be right at times. <laughs> but she was right this morning. And so she, she, I said something and, and she was like, yeah, you know, that's not right. And it was talking about being better than people. Now, I made a joke and we realized that this, she didn't realize that it was a joke and so she called me out on it. And then I was trying to be defensive and so I said something back when I shouldn't have said something back because she was right. But how could, you, can't, you have to one-up the person, right? That's how it works. <laughs> no, that's not how it works, but she's right. And what I realized is that in the moment, I needed to turn to repentance. Because I realized that I'm not better than anybody. And this is what she was getting at and this is what she's trying to say. And where I was getting with that? Okay, got it. And so when we looked at our lives and the picture of things and we feel like we have got it all together and we've, we've got this thing all wrapped up and we know it all, is in that moment where we should realize that we have just as broken that the people who we think, don't have it all. We are just as broken as the people who we think could never make it. So what does true repentance look like? How does one repent from their sin? It's not a, it's not a, it's not a formula that you can do to get this repentance thing going. I wish I could give you the Devante Nine Steps of Repentance. And you could do this every day and you'll be fine, but it's just not that way. Well, first but you have to recognize your sin. Exactly. That was the first point here. Recognize you your sin. Desire to change. Exactly right. You have to recognize that you are a sinner against an almighty God. So if Devante was to come up with the good steps of daily repentance. It sounds something like this. It says, recognize your sin and recognize who you're sinning against. Recognize that every time you do something against an almighty God, that you're hurting the God that loves you, loved you first. You're breaking his heart every time you do something that will separate you from God 
who wants to embrace you. And then the second thing is, before you change an action, consult the heart. Before you jump out and say that I'm just going to change, consult God. Is it actually something that's broken in me? Do I need to be broken for this? Because ultimately when your heart is changed, when your heart comes in a place of waiting brokenness, is when you see change. And the last thing is to bring the broken heart after you lies to Jesus. Say, God, I offer this to you. Matter of fact, God, I offer my life to you. God, change in me the things that are not of you. Lord, I see in my life where X, Y, and Z has really come to beat me down. But mean it. See, we, we, as we start to understand more of how this true repentance thing works, it says this, David doesn't say that we can pray. We can use rituals when it comes to repentance if we mean it, first coming with the broken heart. Because right after he says that God, you, you, you would not despise a contrite heart, he says this, then you will delight in the sacrifice of the righteous and in burnt offerings hold. The bulls will be, off, will be offered on your altar. So God doesn't have a problem with the prayer. It's meaning the prayer. How do you mean it when you come to repentance? You come to God broken, knowing that you need a savior. True repentance leads to worship. See what David says. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are, are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. So what is worship? Is it just coming up here and singing some songs? No, it says this. Worship is approaching a God that is worthy of it with a bowed heart with the goal to honor and show reverence to him in liturgy. Because we're slaves to righteousness, and this worship can manifest itself in many different styles. Praise, lament, and wisdom. So when we come to worship God after true repentance, it's coming with our hearts bowed, with a goal to show honor and reverence to the one that's worthy. Because really, worship is worship. Giving something to someone who's worthy of it. So as the band comes up, is there any sin in your life that you see that you need to repent of? Is there things in your life right now that you think, huh, maybe I actually didn't have a heart change about that. Maybe I just had a behavior modification so I can feel good, but I actually don't believe that I'm broken because of these things. Maybe it's something that's plaguing your life for years and you've been praying and praying for God to get rid of it. Are you coming to God now with a broken heart? I leave you with this from Acts 3, 19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Listen to that again. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, 
that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So I want us to bow our heads and if there's any unconfessing in your life, if there's something that you need to repent of, maybe you were struggling with trusting God and your heart was never changed in trusting God, you always had the motive of trusting yourself and in what you can do. Or maybe in your life you see greed, that you want it all even when you don't need it. And you need to bring it to the Lord in prayer. Or you see pride, where you justify every single thing that goes on in your life because you know it all. Are you willing to bring your broken heart to Him today? Are you ready to see a heart change that will lead to a change in action? Or you just want the action to be gone? I would say use today as an opportunity not to change your action, but to change your heart. To say, God, I come to you with a broken heart that I want you to change. That would ultimately lead God to a change in actions. It will lead to change in thoughts. It will lead to change of things undone. Things I've been putting off because I wanted to do it my way. God, I surrender now. See, as I stand here and read what's going on and I stand here and just think this true even in my own life as I stand here I see things that I need to repent of God change my heart from certain things that I may not sin against you and lead me to true worship that I'll sing your praises so what is that thing I'm not gonna lead us into a prayer or anything like that rather I want us to in our own heads to make this prayer authentic to God. And in your own heart, pray to God in repentance. There's no special formula, no special thing that you can say. It's just a broken heart to, Lord, to the Lord Jesus. Hmm. But what if you don't know the Lord? What if you've been living a life that wasn't walking with the Lord? You never had an encounter with the Holy Spirit that wrecked your life and changed it forever. I know this experience doesn't have to be extravagant, but you know what I'm talking about. Today is the day of salvation. Because your salvation is in repentance. Come to God in a 180 format. Come to God seeking forgiveness. Because He wants you. So if today you want to make that intentional choice to follow the Lord Jesus, here's your time to make your calling and election sure. So Father, as we come to you in repentance, God, we pray for a, a pure heart. God, we pray that you who do the work in our hearts will continue to just break us of our sin and lead us towards repentance because your grace is there for us and it's sufficient. God, you're gracious and as hard as it may seem sometimes, as 
these messages are tough, but we know that you are for us and never against us. That you're always working by our side, leading us towards you. So help us to mean it, God. Help us to mean that we want repentance. You need my prayer. Amen.